Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Dr. Isaac Bogosh, Infectious Diseases Specialist at Toronto General Hospital, Associate Professor of Medicine of the University of Toronto, and member of the Ontario Vaccination Task Force, joins us, as does Dr. Jason Kendrachuk, Assistant Professor, Canada Research Chair, Department of Microbiology, and infectious diseases at the University of Manitoba. We've talked with Drs. Bogosh and Kinderchuk many times on this program as we've meandered our way through this pandemic, and here we are in the middle of August 2021 with the borders starting to reopen, the land border, at least one way. We'll be talking about that with the mayors of Niagara Falls, both sides of the border, in the next hour. But we also have some cautionary uh, news and stories about uh, increasing numbers of cases and what that may mean. So let's find out where we are. Dr. Bogosh, how are you? I'm great. Great to chat again. Yeah, it's good to have you with us. We're not going to have to put off our beer and wings, are we? No, no. I think uh, I'll be back in uh, southern Ontario more consistently in about a week or so. Anytime after mid-August, let's do it up. Okay, sounds good. Are you on speaker? I am not, but I'm in a room with that Echoes, and now I'm in a room with better echoes. Oh, that's much better. Yeah. Dr. Kinderchuk, how are you doing? You know what? It's just uh, another day, Roy, uh, here in Manitoba. We're watching cases uh, increasing around uh, around the provinces uh, surrounding us and, and hoping for the best, I think. So what do you make? Uh, let me ask you uh, this question, Dr. Kinderchuk. What do you make of the increasing cases? And then part B, because we're going to get to this, how is that vaccine passport working for the people of Manitoba? Because the government has issued one. It's about the size of a credit card, isn't it? Yeah. How's yeah, that working so out? There's a couple of ways to look at this, right? So, I mean, listen, cases are increasing. So, first of all, we knew as restrictions started to get loosened that, that cases would inevitably increase. You're now putting basically people in, in contact with one another and allowing that, that transmission to occur. The question is, how high will transmission go across communities. Certainly the U.S. has been giving us some indications of, of what can happen in unvaccinated communities. We're seeing this in Ontario. We're seeing B.C. and Alberta and Saskatchewan increase. I think there's there's concern, right? I think, you know, certainly there's the question of have we removed too much too quickly and how quickly can we respond? Now, for the, for the passport issue, you know, it's been interesting because we had the immunization requirement, certainly at IG Field the other night for the, for the Blue Bombers game, we have that requirement. But we've also now seen basically the, the removal of restrictions. So the question is going to be who is still implementing that, that vaccine uh, you know, mandate or, or that requirement for their businesses uh, or, or otherwise. It, certainly at our university, a bunch of us have lobbied for that. We haven't seen that being implemented yet. Um, but but I think we have to be appreciative that the situation could change very drastically uh, in the next few weeks as well. Uh, I don't like the sound of very drastically, but let's, let's pick <laughs> up on that. Uh, Ontario has been the focus of the country for the last year plus many times and largely because of the lockdowns and the numbers of cases that we were reporting. Dr. Bogosh, you've told us in the past that given the reopening of society, the increase in cases was almost inevitable, but you wanted to keep an eye on the potential for a fourth wave. Where are we as far as this issue is concerned in the province of Ontario? And here's a question that occurred to me on the drive in today. We delineate um, the presence of COVID by borders, by provincial borders, 
COVID doesn't respect provincial borders. COVID, I think, goes for the population centers. Am I right about that? So if I am, within that context, there's my question. Yeah, you are. I mean, so for starters, it's pretty clear we're at the beginning of a fourth wave, and that's occurring you know, obviously in most parts of Canada and in just about any part of the world that uh, is starting to reopen. Like, the science is pretty clear, right? This is a very transmissible infection. And if you give this infection opportunity to be transmitted, it'll jump on that opportunity. Um, you know, and, and, and borders, yeah, are, are, are always a hot topic, either borders within Canada or international borders. But just like anything else, as people move, they bring infectious diseases with them. This is not unique to COVID-19. We see this every year with flu. We see this with just about every other transmissible infection. And uh, and we can expect to see people traveling around and bringing this infection with them. I think the take-home point, though, and I completely agree with everything Dr. Kinderchuk said, and, and I think one of the, the, the key take-home points here is when you look at who gets sick, who lands in hospital, who gets sick with COVID-19 and who lands in hospital, the keyword is proportionately, proportionately, this is going to impact the unvaccinated it is and that there's so many vaccines in canada that vaccination is more of a choice now because it's less and less about access and we're just going to see this disproportionately impact unvaccinated groups so there's no reason to have any of this let's that's set it as simple we don't need this this doesn't have to happen we have the vaccines we have the rollout strategies it's not 100 perfect i get it but if we're all vaccinated we won't see much of what's happening now. So do you believe, Dr. Bogosh, in what you've just said, because when you talk about vaccines and uh, it's the unvaccinated who are going to disproportionately or proportionately find themselves under medical care for COVID, people get their backs up. People who don't want to hear about vaccines get their backs up. They've heard this argument. They've already rejected it. What's the most, is there a, is there a saleable argument for, for vaccines, other than saying there are going to be vaccine passports, because when France did that, when uh, French President uh, Macron said, hey, no, uh, no passport by the 1st of August and no negative test, you're not going into many locations in this country. And 3.7 million people in France signed up for passports virtually immediately. Is there a way to make this whole idea of being vaccinated and carrying a passport, if it comes to that in this country, and I think it will, to make it more saleable? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. But the, to your first point, listen, I appreciate that there's a lot of people that are unvaccinated, and it's not a homogeneous group. There's a lot of different reasons underlying that those who are not vaccinated some aren't eligible some still have barriers some still have legitimate questions that have not been addressed yet and we can't shame and blame our way out of this you have to take it seriously sit down with people have a conversation you know and and of course we know there's a group of people that no matter what you say or do they're just not going to get vaccinated there's, it's a it's, it's a heterogeneous group and you need a tailored approach to each uh component of that group um I'm not saying vaccine passports are the way, but we've seen this happen in Quebec and in France and in New York City and in other areas that have mandated or, or they've said they're going to implement a vaccine passport system. If you do that, right off the bat, all those people who are on the fence are getting vaccinated. Like anyone who's sort of, eh, maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't, I've got a few questions. That puts a, most of those people will ultimately get vaccinated. But that doesn't solve all your problems. You still have people with barriers. You still have people with legitimate questions. Like, there's no shaming and blaming. That doesn't work in anything. Like, really, it's an empathetic approach. Address people's concerns. Don't 
marginalize them. That that doesn't help at, at all. Yeah, no, and I keep forgetting you're not politicians, and I should be asking you medical questions, not political questions, but it's what I do. Uh, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Kendrachuk, you, you mentioned uh, borders and people traveling, and so did uh, Dr. Bogosh. So when it comes to this, and I want to get to schools in a few minutes here with you, but when it comes to the opening, uh, reopening gradually of the Canada-U.S. border for land travel, uh, do you have concerns about about this at all, or do you have growing concerns, or do you think it's uh, being managed, you know, based on what we know is going to happen tomorrow? Do you think that's a reasonably good way to manage reopening of the border? Well, it's a great question, right? And, and to, to me, it's all about the timing, okay? So if we were dealing with a situation where we didn't have much delta in the country, we weren't seeing an increase in cases, um, then you could argue that, yes, we're, we're going too far ahead. And in the U.S., we're seeing you know, such high transmission rates of Delta that any you know, basically introduction of Delta into our communities is going to, to start to perturb things and, and we will start to see transmission. We're not at that stage anymore. I, I think the unfortunate reality is you know, that the horse has left the barn. Delta is surging across the country right now. Um, what is the introduction from, from people coming across the border going to do? It's, it certainly is not necessarily going to be helpful, but it's certainly not going to push the situation, uh, I think, much faster than, it, than it's going to already. So I think that, you know, that there is this balance of trying to say, how do we do this without cutting everything off? And how do we do this in a, in yeah. a manageable fashion? So we've gotten to the point now where we have to balance the health concerns with the economic concerns. We've talked about that for some time, but we've gotten to the point now where maybe because of the presence of the vaccines, we're more capable uh, of, of doing that, of, of making, of creating that balance between health and economics, yes? I, I think so, right? So, you know, certainly again, you know, here in Manitoba, we're, you know, we, we have a very, very high vaccination rates, but we know that we have areas and communities where we have low vaccination rates. So right now, I think there is an ability to start to try and, and get back to you know some you know you know saleable uh, economy that we've had in in the past. But we also have to be you know some, somewhat prudent in in knowing that we have communities that if the virus starts to to transmit, we're going to have problems, and and that for us is you know I, I think difficult. It's it's trying to find that balance and figuring out how quickly you can get those safety checks identify transmission uh, when, when it's first occurring and, and get it uh, curbed as well as possible. Okay, I have to take a break in just a minute, but Dr. Bogosh, when it comes to the Delta variant, we hear a lot of talk about it, and, and we're all trying to absorb all of the information or as much of it as we possibly can that's coming our way about COVID. I understand that it's uh, more easily transmissible. I understand and I've seen the numbers of people being hospitalized who aren't vaccinated. But uh, how dangerous is this Delta variant? Do we know? Is it is it a really significant health threat or is it just a, is it, uh, I don't know how else to put this, a flu? Yeah, so um, 100% correct. It is way more transmissible. But, you know, I think it's fair to communicate uncertainty. There's some data that suggests that this variant may cause more significant symptoms compared to the original COVID-19 variant. There's other data suggest that it doesn't. So that's an unanswered question. Regardless, we know that this preys on individuals that are older. It can prey, but, but, but when enough people get infected, that's a lot of people. So even young, we're seeing young children get admitted to the hospital. Again, most kids will do just fine. But when a ton of kids get sick, that still ends up being a lot of kids in hospital. Plus, there's data demonstrating that, you know, about 1.8% of kids can have chronic symptoms that last beyond four months if yeah. they're infected. So 
like we shouldn't get COVID. Let's put it that way. We should do whatever we can to avoid getting COVID. And, and another thing that's important, I know we've got to go to break, is that this is so transmissible that like 8 billion people on Earth are going to get exposed to this. We are all getting exposed to this. It might not be today. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next month. But in the coming year or years, we will all be exposed to this. And we know that if you want your best chance of not getting sick, not landing in hospital, not infecting others, the vaccine's the best approach. Schools. Um, Dr. Kendra Chuck, let me start with you. The reopening of schools. We had a, an exchange on this yesterday, and we've had several exchanges about what is and what sh- should be the reality when schools reopen after Labor Day. What do you think would work? What would you recommend? <laughs> Let me just unload on you. <laughs> um, it's tough, right? I don't think there's any more polarizing issue right now uh, for, for, for many Canadians in regards to, to COVID. Is what, what do we do with kids when they go back to school? I don't have an easy answer, right? So, well, you know, Isaac had pointed out uh, some of the rates of, of long COVID in kids. We certainly know there are instances of this. It looks, you know, for people, for kids uh, out to 28 days, it's something like 4.4% of kids that are infected will, will have symptoms uh, that, that extend to that period. Um, but we still know that they are infected at a lower rate, though we're dealing with a more transmissible variant. So you, you have to take all these things into consideration and then try and address one of the biggest issues, which is how or, or what is the role of kids in transmission in the community? And that, to me, is where I have actually probably the most concerns. I think about these largely, uh, you know, low vaccine communities, and what's going to happen when we start seeing kids that are going back to school and potentially transmitting uh, virus in, into the community. So I think it comes back to, to mitigations, right? So listen, ventilation and, and filter, air filtration, we know that they're beneficial. How much can we get done in the next few weeks is a big question. Um, so, but we have to do something. What else can we do in regards to distancing and masking? That, you know, we, we've been going through these questions in Manitoba, and I think you're seeing the school districts responding to that. Um, it's difficult. I, I don't think there's any easy answer to, to address this, unfortunately. Dr. Bogosh, do you feel that sometimes the uh, challenge is getting past the politics as well as getting past COVID? Well, I mean, listen, at this point in the pandemic, it's, it's fair to say that we, we know a lot about this virus. Yes, there are unanswered questions. Yes, we have to remain humble. Yes, there are going to be expected and unexpected twists and turns along the way. But we knew, we do know a lot. We know how to control this infection now. We know what the vaccines do. We know what the vaccines don't. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry, I should have been more clear. I'm asking about the schools. Oh, schools. Yeah, we've got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. Kids, not, that you, not, not that you tried to evade that question. I know nah, that. I'm not. I just, maybe I didn't understand it. Yeah, kids can get infected. Kids can transmit this infection. If you stick a bunch of kids in a, into an indoor setting, they're going to amplify this infection. Bring it home. Get mom and dad or grandma or grandpa sick. And that's as simple as that. I don't know what other evidence we need. So you got to make school safer. How do you do it? Improve the ventilation in the school system. Put on masks on the kids. I know everyone, I appreciate that that's contentious, but like, this is just, like, we could, I'm not attaching a value judgment. I'm just saying this is how you do it. Uh, and and uh, if you can separate them as much as you can, that's great. But that, like, that's how you control the virus in an indoor setting. That's how you do it. Now, let's attach the value judgment. Is it right to put masks on kids? Well, you know, some people don't think that's the case. Others would say, listen, they're pretty resilient. Look at what they went through uh, this last school year where they were wearing masks in, in many school settings. But, like, listen, if you want lower transmission in schools, you got to talk about ventilation, masks, and physical distancing. It's no different 
than if you're going back into the workplace or what we do in the hospitals. Like indoors is indoors is indoors. That's where the virus is transmitted. Okay, we have one minute left. Dr. Kendra Chuck, somebody just sent me uh, an email and points to a global news headline. Health Canada adds Bell's palsy warning to Pfizer labels but says vaccine is safe. So that comes with exclamation point marks, a whole bunch of them. So what's the, what's the case you can make in the seconds we have left for the safety of the vaccines? Again, when you look at the number of detrimental effects of COVID as compared to any sort of concerns or side effects from the vaccine, there is a complete discrepant uh, difference between the two. COVID by far and away can cause much worse symptoms than, than any of the vaccine data that we've seen from across the globe. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.